0: your giving. Thank you, worship team, your faithfulness, your uh, 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 leading uh, us through the worship this morning. We appreciate and we thank God for you this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to go this morning with me to the book of Matthew 24. The book of Matthew 24. I want to take a few moments to uh, minister to you. Out of this passage, and I use this passage as the backdrop to the entire sermon that I'll be preaching this morning uh, there are a few things that inspired me concerning this sermon, one of which was this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and how we've been up and against a upheaval battle for the past year, uh, for most people. And uh, not only is that true, but I also began to contemplate the early seasons of COVID-19. You remember, where hand sanitizers were completely gone. Yeah. Toilet rolls were, com- were disappearing from the shelves. There was a moment where you couldn't even find Maggie Me on the shelves. Everything was, you know, and so... After living in this time and in this season for now nearly a year, many people, if you go online and if you read articles, they have a term they call, they use, called doomsday preppers. And so to their credit, many commentators begin to suggest that They have already been singing the song of the apocalypse. They have already been singing the song that one day there is going to be an end and there is going to be uh, some form of a pandemic that will happen and they had always prepared before time. One of such was a man in Singapore. His name was Samuel. He was ready for anything, including the possibility that his family would be unable to escape through their main door. He had a backup for everything. And so in this case, his wife, two sons, and mother-in-law would have to don safety harnesses at all times. Can you imagine wearing safety harnesses in your own home? They would hook their ladder onto the window ledges just in case the main door got stuck. Clamber to the unit below their fifth-story flat. However, preppers like Samuel pride themselves on being ready for other sorts of crises such as accidents, haze, fires, blackouts, pandemics to uh, to, to, to the preppers is to misconceive his methodical uh, mindset. For example... When he learned in February that COVID-19 was a respiratory disease, he bought two oxygen tanks (laughs) to prevent a situation where his family may test positive and may need oxygen while waiting for a doctor. So they call them doomsday preppers. So as Christians, you and I are in the waiting For what we know as the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I know we are not called to be doomsday preppers. I understand. We're not here, uh, you know, having one backup plan to another backup plan to another. Even though we understand that it's necessary that we have some things put in place for a rainy day. But it's also important this morning, beloved, that the second coming of Jesus Christ is taken with great importance because we know that it is an irrefutable doctrine in our Christian faith. You and I, as we're seated here, we're convinced that there is a day where the rapture will happen. We are convinced that the trumpet will sound, and when the trumpet sounds, we are convinced that Christians, believers, righteous men and righteous women, those who have led holy lives, will be taken up, caught in midair, and the Bible says that represents the blessed hope, or for different, uh, a different term for that would be the rapture. We know that's the truth. The Bible has spoken to us, can say, I preached on it a number of times. We know that Jesus is coming back, but what we have to answer this morning is what do I do in the waiting? What am I called to do while I wait for my master's return? What is required of me? What is my responsibility? What is my duty as a Christian? What am I called to carry out as a believer? And I want to preach a sermon I've called uh, Waiting Faithfully this morning out of Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. As we look at this passage together this morning, Consider with me, verses 45, Matthew 24, verses 45, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods, But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth and so here we find the scripture relating to us concerning what we would probably term as in the meantime in the meantime while waiting while we are waiting for Jesus, while we are waiting for the master, while we are waiting for judgment, while we are waiting for God to recompense you and I, we understand that in the timeline, the Bible tells us that the master leaves us with responsibilities. Responsibilities that we ought to carry out. And I think what is for us to realize is not only does he give us these responsibilities, but he has provided us with what we need to carry on the task he has given us. So he doesn't just call us to faithfulness. He doesn't just call us... To obedience. He doesn't just call us to be a people that will carry out the task that He calls us to, but He equips us with what we need. He equips us with the clarity of mind. He equips us with finances and resources. He equips us with faith. He equips us with a heart that is right with Him. He equips us with, an, with, with, with all that He allows us to enjoy. The resources, the talents, and the gifts. He equips us with them he is the one who furnish, who furnishes us with it and in furnishing us with it you and i have what it takes this morning to be responsible christians so there is really no excuse what i'm getting at first and foremost this morning is that we get this mindset out of our thoughts that i can't do this or i am unable to do that God has gifted all of us somewhere, somehow with giftings. And He leaves us with the task and there is a steward we find in this passage. And every steward has a master. No steward functions without a master. Every one of us here this morning are stewards. We have been entrusted and God is looking to hold us accountable to what he has given us. And he has entrusted believers, you and I, with responsibilities, to be carried out during his physical absence on earth. So the task laid out by God, in this case, as we see in this passage, was for the steward, which was a term they used very often in the past, to provide for the household to make sure that there was food on the table for the master's children. The steward was responsible to ensure that there was enough for the children resources that was provided. The the steward had to make sure that every need in the home was taken care of. The master would provide the resources, but the steward will be responsible to making sure that the task is carried out. To make sure the smooth flow of the home and this was the responsibility of the steward. And I say to you that as we look at the task, as we consider this, this is a measuring stick that God will reference us off if we have been faithful with what He has entrusted to us. So, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 2, Moreover, moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Stewardship and faithfulness go hand in hand. In essence, the steward serves the master. And while the master is away, the steward with fidelity remains faithful. There is loyalty. There is trust. The steward is a trustworthy person. And the task this morning could be anything, beloved. But I can tell you it certainly won't be nothing. Can I say that again? It will definitely be something all of us. In other words, God expects us as believers to be doing something while waiting. And our faithfulness is measured by what we're doing in God's physical, physical absence. While we're waiting, life this morning is like a book, beloved. We know that there are many chapters but it will, only, it will only have a conclusion way down the road. But before we get to that conclusion, those chapters are what we have to face. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Chap- There's a life's chapters that we all have to face. We all have to go through. And those are moments of waiting. I want you to think about this with me. They did a study and they said that most people in life will spend five hours or, sorry, I I think, don't know whether it was five hours or five months waiting in line. Uh, You know, you get on an escalator, right? Unless you are, like the Chinese say, kanchong. You get on the escalator and you run. Most people get on the escalator and they just stand and wait. And you eventually get to the top of the escalator. I'm one of them. I'm Kanjong. I run one. I don't wait. I don't time. And so the point I make to you is in the waiting, while there's waiting involved, beloved, there are things that are happening. There are things, waiting doesn't mean we are static. Waiting doesn't mean we are holding back. Waiting doesn't mean that we are doing nothing. In the waiting, there is a period of time where believers must be found faithful because in the waiting is what God is going to take measuring. He's going to measure us against what we have done while we had time on earth. What did we do? What did we do with the waiting? What did we do? Our task as stewards involves being faithful with time, with money. With energy, with resources, with talents, with gifts, with our minds, with our opportunities. You and I are given the mandate to be faithful with all of those components, with all of those elements in our lives. We are called to be faithful with those things. We are to be stewards so that it remains in our hearts, that we will be faithful. What has God entrusted to us this morning? What has God entrusted to you? What what has God placed in your... Are we using any of it for His glory and purpose? How much of what we have is being used for His kingdom? See, that's the question. Because in the waiting... What God measures is not the success stories we have in the world. It's not how much you draw a month. It's what have you done for my glory. Do you realize you can work a job and bring glory to God? You can study and be uh, uh, moving forward in education and give glory to God you know that you can actually be doing all you do as a parent to raise your children up and bring glory to God? You see, in essence, it isn't limited. But what are we using? What have God entrusted? What are we, what are we using for His kingdom and for the glory of His name? Because that's what mattered to the Master. So let's talk secondly then about godly fear. Because godly fear produces faithfulness. Godly fear is what produces faithfulness. And faithfulness produces transparency. The first servant that we are going to see in this passage was a faithful servant. He was a trustworthy servant. He was a man who was who had fidelity he was a loyal servant he was a man that can be account who can be counted on he was an individual that can be trusted Matthew 25:16 through 17 it says then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them made another five talents and likewise he who had received two gained two more also. So we find in this passage the parable of the talent. God entrusted someone with five, another with two, another with one. And in that context, we know that the man with five talents went and he used those talents. He invested those talents. He didn't go and do what the one talent man did who buried the talent in the ground. And then when the master came, we will talk about that in a moment, but he didn't just go and bury the talent in the ground. He said, look, master, you gave me this talent. You called me to be a steward of this talent. It can be five, it can be two. And whichever it may be, I am going to take what you've given me. I trust that the resources I have is because you entrusted me with it. I trust that the health I have is because you entrusted me with it. I trust that the mind that I have is because you entrusted me with the clarity of mind. I trust that the skills I have with my hands are skills that you have given me and I will use these skills for the glory of your kingdom. It is the acknowledging that I understand you Who entrusted me with this? It's not my gaining. It's not because I'm so fantastic or I'm so great of a person that I have all of this amassed, but it is because of your mercy and your grace. And that is the sentiment you find coming from the man with the five and the two talent. They went, they used it, and the man with five gained five more. The Bible says the man with two gained five two more. I want to make a statement to you. There's a principle right here, that in obedience, you multiply what God has given you. It's a principle. You cannot dodge that principle. When you obey God with what He's entrusted you with, He will always multiply it. How did that, how did the multi, it's supernatural, but God did it. I was listening to some of the stories this week, and I, this sermon has nothing to do with money, to be honest, nothing. But I was listening to some of the uh, uh, testimonies that came out from a conference that is going on this week. And uh, one of the common traits of the testimonies I find uh, constantly coming, and the pastor made note of this as well, he says, is that in this time of COVID, during this COVID season, during the time when people were struggling to some degree, and that is not to devalue or, 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 you know, degrade anyone. He says it is so supernatural how God has been faithful to supply. People are seeing increase. People are seeing multiplication. There is a supernatural moving of God in the arena of finances. How does that work? when the whole world, this is a supernatural working of God. This is a supernatural transference of God's blessing upon the believer. So in our text, as we move on, we gonna, we're going to go quickly this morning. Our text informs us the unfaithful servant, the evil servant, as the Bible calls it. In verses 48, But if that evil servant says in Iran, my master is delaying his coming, it speaks of familiarity. It speaks about losing significance. Somehow, this this servant, just like the first servant who is the good servant, Right, he saw the master returning. He knew the both of these men were given the same amount of task and trusted in the same amount, but they responded differently. So, where did this second man's concept begin to start? It started when he began to begin to uh, 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 begin to uh, uh, entertain. He began to entertain the thought, saying, "My master is delaying." He entertained that. He paid attention to that because he looked at his clock, he looked at his watch, and he said, oh, he should have been here, but he's not. Look at what's happening. He's not coming. I don't think he's going to come. I don't think he's going to show up. I don't think he's interested to come and meet with us, and so on and so on. And all of those thoughts would have began to play out in his mind. He lost reverence. He gets casual. He begins violating and abusing other servants. You know, when, when, when I got saved, you know how many people at that point in time kept saying, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. And I remember hearing Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Campbell preach. They've been seniors and they had said, that from the time they got saved, in the back, in back 1970s, they've already been hearing those words, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming. How many know that can get old? People get casual with it. People begin to, ah, come on, la, enough of this Jesus coming back stuff. La. When is He coming back? And so this, this spirit of casualness, the spirit of losing reverence, begins to cause the human heart to take lightly what God has said. And therefore, the evil servant, what did he do? He began to abuse, violate his own servants. And there is an absence of the reality here. Life desensitizes the heart distraction eliminates the mind from the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In Luke 21, 34, look at the passage that uh, I preached on Tuesday night concerning being sober, Sober sober-mindedness. The Bible says in Luke 21, 34, "...but take heed to yourselves." lest your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness and the cares of this life and that day comes on you unexpectedly. It is an evil thing to assume that our Master will not keep record of our actions. That in the waiting, you can, you can as the Bible says, carousing, treating it lightly, assuming you have time to look at it and say, "Ah, He's not serious about coming back. And anything you hear concerning the Word of God, anything you hear presented in the context, the Master is coming, the Master is coming, you laugh about it or you you take it with lightheartedness. The seriousness of it has disappeared. And I wonder to myself, What it must feel like to trust and be betrayed. As a master, he entrusted us with things. You are going to be an example, the light of the world. People are going to see you and they're going to come to Christianity. People are going to look at your life and they're going to want Jesus. People are going to... The very the very essence of what he entrusted, I wonder how it would feel to be Jesus to be betrayed. That people don't take him seriously anymore. See, we live in a generation that mocks, uh, criticizes righteousness and obedience. That when a person refuses to comply in sin, they are cast out. I will not do that. They get mocked at. They get criticized. They get pulled down. It is, it is possible that with the pressure brought against us in the world, it is possible to comply and give in, beloved, to the point of downplaying the return of Jesus Christ. This is where the significance of His return becomes less important. When the coming of Christ no longer holds significance in our hearts, we live life like he is never coming back, as though there are no consequences. If you've not heard the sermon on Tuesday, please, I I encourage you. I know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you can be helped from that message, sober-mindedness. I preached about being sober-minded. What the devil strategizes to do today is he makes us non-thinkers. He makes us unconscious with all the decisions. People don't think about the consequences of their decisions. They just do it. They don't, they don't pay attention. What, what is this going to do to my family? What is this going to do to my marriage? What is this going to do? We don't see that. We don't realize because the devil is such a master manipulator that he desensitizes us to making seem things that are important as unimportant. You see, the words of the evil servant is this. Look, look at this passage, beloved. The Bible says, my master is delaying his coming in verses 48. It, it suggests negligence, a mindset that he had developed suggesting that his master was to blame. Just look at the word, my master is delaying his coming. Who is he implying as responsible here? The master never told you when he will come. The master just said, I will come. He didn't give you a fixed time. He didn't give you a fixed date. He didn't give you a fixed hour. He just said, I am coming back. But the servant, the evil servant, the wicked servant is using this delay as an excuse not to carry out who he's supposed to be as a steward. He is dodging his responsibility because of a master who he thinks is delaying. God, can I say to you this morning, God doesn't work according to our timetable. God makes all things beautiful in his time. You have to learn to wait. You have to learn to be patient. You have to learn to accept that God, I cannot Twist your arm to do something for me just because I want it done now. But it is the trust and the virtue of trust, which is what was so violated here. His mindset, he developed this mindset. He justified his reason to disobey, to rebel. And in the scripture, we understand that the delay made him less earnest about his master's return. It is in the delay, I make this statement. Hear me Kevin. I'm making this statement to you. It is in the delay that your mind needs to be disciplined. When you see nothing, you've got to stay focused. When you see nothing happening in the waiting, your mind needs to stay disciplined. Matthew 25, 24 to 25, the same spirit we find in this passage. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hit your talon in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. And so it is in the doing right, it is in righteousness that we can avoid distorts of, uh, from governing us, beloved, our minds. Whether in the delay or not, it is the practice of righteousness. It is us doing what is right. It is us presenting ourselves righteous before God. This man as we know it, inevitably started off well. But the moment he turned his attention to the timeline, he started paying attention to the clock. He started paying attention to the watch. He started paying attention to the mistakes he thinks his master is doing. Twisted mind. His fault, not mine. See how important it is that in the waiting, that while you wait, You and I must learn that righteousness is of great importance. We must keep our focus in the waiting, pleasing God, a lifestyle. See, there are things you can control, choices you can make, emotions, feelings, responses. But how many know we cannot control God? You know, this morning we got up, we spent time. I was, I was reading and then, you know, preparing, finishing off my sermon. Everything was going well. You know, everything was just kind of panning out the way it usually does Sunday morning. And then my son does something that really, 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 really made me so mad. And it has been a long time I blew up that way. I felt so horrible. I felt so horrible just you know blowing up and getting angry. I I got angry. I know and you're preaching. Yes, I am. <laughs> Real life. I got mad. I said, "What's wrong with you?" And I went on, man. And when I got and we were just leaving the house, I Pulled the door, angry. I came out, I went to the lift, I hit the lift. Urgh! I went to my car, I pulled the door open and I, bam, you know, angry. I'm driving, not a word in the car. Not a word in the, I'm quiet. My wife don't want to say it, my children don't want to say No music, nothing. We're angry. (laughs) How many know we go through life? (laughs) We do, we do. I know everybody thinks, you know, a bait of road. No, no, no. Life is real. We all have to make decisions. I'm just mad. But I had to make a choice. As I'm in the car, I'm thinking to myself, why did I do that? I could have responded differently. I could have just quietly said, Let's talk about this later. Why did I do that? Why? I know we give the excuse we're human beings. But you know, beloved, I declare to you, sometimes we think we got more control than we actually have. And that's why I was just talking to Jean just now before service. I told her that I was reading a book and how this author began to describe this so profoundly, I just finished it, and he and he was talking about how you know when you're going through life. And I know, hear this out. This, this is a Christian author, but but he understands how people's mind operates. And he begins to pen this. He says, when you're going through things that you cannot you cannot deal with, take a piece of paper, draw a line. I mean, this morning I wouldn't have done that, in <laughs> that anger, in that fit of. of of being mad. I would have have taken a piece of paper at that time, you know. I'm telling you, settle down, take a piece of, uh, draw a line. And he says, what you ought to do is you got to start listing down on one side of that paper, what are the things that is not in your control? What are the things you cannot control? You know that you cannot control people's behavior, you cannot control people's response. You cannot control people's attitude. For example, you cannot control the outcome in the stock market or even in the economy. You cannot control. These are things out of your control. So he says, list them all down on one side. And then after you've done that, I love what he says. He's so human. I mean, it's, it's so, and that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. He says the next day and the day after you wrote that, just spend those day, two days worrying about that the whole two days. Just worry about it. Let it... You just worry. Just worry. Oh, oh, bad love. And just worry. Just worry. Okay? I know for some of you, this is like, whoa. <laughs> worry? Are you telling us to worry? Yes. Yes, you're a human being. Otherwise, you're a robot if you don't worry. I mean, you know, the truth is, you know, we always think, you know, I'm not going to grieve when someone passes away. But who cries the first? Right? Because the truth is, no matter how much you prepare yourself, grieving is a man. It's how God releases those emotions. We need to grieve. We need to learn. So, so what he says, he says this, and then you begin to come to a place where you realize, okay, I've worried about it. Then he says, by the next, by, by the two days after all of that, you immediately make up your mind. You say, I'm not going to look at that anymore. I'm gonna let. And on that, the next, the third day, or the second day rather, you, the second column that you have, you write everything that you can change. You have control over my emotions, my attitude, yeah. my mind. I can control what I, where I spend my money, for example. I can control what, the, uh, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say. Yeah. I can control that. And he says when you start thinking about the things you have control over, you learn that there are more things that God is in charge of than you are. Because there's things you cannot control, but God has to control that. And God is in charge. And when you understand that, beloved, there are things you can take charge of to keep your heart right with God. I'm going to keep my heart right. I'm going to check my attitude. I'm going to check my emotion. I'm going to check this. I'm going to check this. And that keeps you right with God. This is what makes you a faithful steward to maintain your heart right with the Master. Don't try changing things you cannot change. The master is delaying, yes, but can you do anything about it? You can't. But what can I do? I can keep my heart right. I can read the Bible. I can pray. I can come to church. I can worship. You can do all of that. And life becomes, it just changes. And I'm challenging you here, beloved. This is, this is what I've seen. Noah built while he was waiting. He's building. God said, I'm coming. When? Where's the flood? No rain, also. I'm coming. What did Noah do? He didn't sit around and bite his fingernails. <laughs> he built. He got the stuff ready. He got the wood. He got the supplies. Right? He built. Jesus. While he was waiting for the ascension, what did he do? He preached. He declared the truth. He proclaimed the truth. And I say to you that scriptures all throughout, I'm getting ready to close here, individuals did what what they did while they were waiting. And the question this morning is simply this, what are we doing while we're waiting? I'm here, I'm telling you, beloved, this morning, Jesus is coming. We don't know when, but that's our hope. I want to go as soon as He calls me home. I want to go. Because I understand it's greater up there than here. But we got a world to win, we got a generation to reach out to. But I'm declaring to you, beloved, right here, what are we doing? We have to ask that question. Second Peter 3:11 through 12. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What does Peter say in this passage? Two words in verses 11, bro. Go to verses 11. The Bible says, holy conduct and godliness. While you're waiting. It is my duty to stay holy and to remain godly while I'm waiting. You, you, I don't have time to go into the whole dissecting of what it means this morning, but you understand what is required of us. Now, I want to close with this quick thought here, because as I was putting this sermon together, this was the main context to what God pointed out to me. In verses 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping. And that, sh- that the sin of the world, the cares of the world, the ungodliness, the unrighteous carries us so far away that we're no longer looking and waiting. And the Bible says that, that, that Jesus can come in that moment when you took your eyes off. Have you lost your child before? I haven't. <laughs> but I know one of the someone shared with me one time about how they were having a meal at Burger King. And they were eating. Must be Burger, must be good in Burger King. That they lost sight. The next thing they looked, the child had gone missing. The husband, wife ran helter, skelter looking, you know. Friend of mine looking helter. Where in the world? And this guy was actually hiding under the table in the corner. But they went out the shop thinking he went somewhere, and they were looking everywhere for nearly 15, 20 minutes, and they found him under the table. How many know sometimes when you take your eyes off, that's when Jesus comes? You just never know. Sometimes when you take your eyes off, did you read the story about this week a a poor woman? sobering, you know, she was driving down in Sri Pataling. And and as she was driving, she stopped at the traffic light. She's driving uh, 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 um, uh, this vehicle and and she stopped at the traffic light. When she stopped there, uh, this, this guy got into the car. She saw the guy got in the back seat. She immediately jumped out from her driver's seat. So the guy jumped off the back seat and went to her driver's seat. And he took her car. Sri Pataling. And later they found out she didn't lock her door, her car door. But thank God for good people. Because the, this was a traffic light, this was a stoplight. And so what happened, you should check the video. It looked like a FBI you know, I mean, I mean, it was, it was superb. You know, I, I, call, I told Jeremy, Jeremy, check this out. I like need for speed. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> and, and so, and, uh, the, guys, the guys were behind. And so, they saw this guy jump into the front seat. She got off the car. She threatened. She got out. And the guy started driving, speeding down the road. This guy's on the back. The lady, you know, came. She, this guy called her said, you come, you sit with me. We'll chase him down. This guy chased the car down. As they got closer to the car, one went in front. One went at the side, one went at the back, and cornered the guy. Went, pulled the guy out, and beat him up. Lah. <laughs> but the point is, how many know, beloved, in the waiting? Sometimes, while you're waiting, and while you just you're just sitting there, and you think nothing is going to happen, nothing's in the waiting, beloved. We know that here's this man. He was waiting for that woman to come. But justice prevailed. To some degree. I know not wholly, but some degree. I just felt it was a good story to add into the sermon. But it was somewhat. You know, they caught him. They pulled him out. And they beat him up. (laughs) To some degree. (laughs) And they called the cops after that. (laughs) But the point is, I can tell you, beloved, in all my years of laboring as a Christian, God is a righteous God. He'll never let the wicked go for long. I have seen God so many times before my very eyes, like a candle you heard me preach, just wipe the wicked off unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. No clue. No idea it's coming. No, no way to prepare for protection. No way to prepare for doomsday. No way. This is the, this is the reality. The wicked will never prosper. You will prosper to some degree. But it will be short term. And our passage this morning as we close is a testament that God will return at a time which the evil, wickedness, will not be ready. The wicked men, the wicked women. Judgment is a time where God will recompense the righteous. And God in His justice and all fairness, beloved, will reward the faithful servant. Faithfulness this morning, as I close right here, faithfulness moves God's heart. Nothing else moves God more than that. But a lackadaisical spirit Will keep you unprepared it will make you feel like you know what god's not coming ah, who cares i can do what i want to do i can live how i want to live i can say what i want to say i can look at what i want to look at i can behave how i want to behave why do people come because they do not do not have the fear of god to know that you know what there's a day of reckoning that's coming god is going to judge i don't know when but in the waiting I choose to wait faithfully. Faithfulness is seen in pursuing holiness and godliness. That's what Peter revealed to us. Isaiah 40, 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the promise for you this morning. You keep your heart right. You keep your spirit focused on God. You don't allow the waiting period to become a moment of discouragement that takes you away from. Don't allow those moments to draw you away to becoming unrighteous. or un- You know, the Bible says the wicked servant abused. He wallowed in drunkenness and carousing and all of that. Beloved, I declare to you, you keep your heart right with God. Because the day is coming. It may be today. It may be next week. It may also be in the next 10 years, 15 years. We don't know. But let this be true. That I never become desensitized. That Jesus can come anytime. And I must be ready. I want you to bow your heads with me.